0: Uh, hi everyone. Welcome to the commentarians. Is this Prairie Home Companion? Husband Bulge is now a part of my permanent vocabulary. <laughs> I saw a squirrel. I am going to point out real quick, this to me is like the most disturbing scene in the entire movie.
1: Stop listening right now and go watch Firefly. Hey, it's... this is my podcast. am sorry, sorry Joe.
0: <laughs> we are saying that not only have we been wounded, we survive, and there's a God who heals these wounds jesus isn't about the isms uh he's about
1: his kingdom because it is kind of like this idea that jesus died for all of our sins except when you had sex And jesus doesn't cover that hello everyone and welcome to the commentarians uh i'm your host joe uh on another great episode welcome in commies that's uh uh, Emily, uh, I got you here. Let me just uh, start by letting you know that we're starting to call our audience commies, uh, and I I think they're gonna like it. Don't you? Th- I, I haven't oh. really heard any uh, feedback from them yet, but uh, <laughs> what do you think?
0: You're the first person to accuse me of that. So yeah, this is a new experience.
1: <laughs> so, uh, anyways, welcome in. Come on in uh, to the Commentarians, a podcast where I invite a friend over to uh, watch a movie and discuss it as we watch. This week is no different. Uh, f- and uh, Merry Christmas! We are going to be in the Christmas season when this comes out.
0: Only appropriate for the yeah, season.
1: <laughs> absolutely. So here with me I have uh, Emily Dixon. Say hi.
2: Hi! Uh,
1: so <laughs> let's get to know you a little bit before we get into the movie. Uh, what is it that you do, Emily?
0: Uh, I, I do a little bit of everything, um, and nothing. I don't do anything enough to do it well. So, uh, <laughs> but I am a writer, a teacher, a volunteer park host, mom, wife, and uh, just anything that catches my interest in the moment. So you <laughs> never know. Now no. I'm
1: a, a movie <laughs> <laughs> uh, And what do you teach?
0: Uh, I'm currently teaching Old Testament Lit and Gospel of Mark. I teach in the Christian Ministries Department for a local college, and basically pick up whatever classes they need need covered for that semester. So,
1: nice. Uh, we we covered Mark on my other podcast, and I think that's becoming my favorite uh, my favorite gospel.
0: It's my favorite right now because it's the one I'm studying. Now, if I switch over to Jonathan, it's going to become my favorite one. So it it just varies with whatever I'm in because there's always so much in whatever part of the Bible you're in. It just blows you away. Right.
1: And uh, you're also an author. You wrote a book called uh, Scandalous, Things Good Christian Girls Don't Talk About But Probably Should. Uh, Do you want to tell us about that?
0: Um, let's see. Reader's Digest version. Uh, this is a book on, um, sexuality and relationships and as much from a biblical standpoint as I, I could present. And I, am not an expert in these areas, but I had some interesting experiences in my life where I realized that the church had not prepared me to deal with realities of dating in today's society. Sure. Uh, what sure. marriage looks like or how to deal with abusive relationships. And, when I began talking about my own experiences, I found out that there were so many more people who had the same questions and the same difficulties, but they were always scared to ask for answers because we don't talk about this stuff, particularly when you are a good Christian girl. Right. And so the book just kind of, I didn't intend to write it. I just sat down, I was going to do a blog post, and 55,000 words later, I looked up and realized, oh, no.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so... That's kind of taken on a life of its own, and um, it's, it's taken off, and I, I've been really shocked because I expected you know a couple of friends to read it, and that was going to be the end of it,
1: and that hasn't been the case. And you've it's created this little community of different people uh, around it, right?
0: It, it really has. Um, it started out again. A, a handful of friends decided that we were going to start a discussion group, a closed Facebook group. And within three hours, we had 150 women all sharing stories. And we are almost, that was about a year and a half ago, we're almost to 1,000 women. It's growing every day. And we have done everything from help individual women get into counseling, help married couples getting into counseling. We have had women from our group go pick up women in abusive situations, take them to a shelter or get them uh, set up with, with some kind of help to get them out of abusive situations. We've helped people get in school. We've helped people uh, start businesses. It it has just been incredible. But I think that's what happens when you start sharing these kinds of stories that are so intimate and so raw. And I mean, one in three women have been sexually assaulted in their life. And search does not address that. And six out of ten women are in uh, abusive relationships at some point in their life. And again, the church is woefully underprepared for even beginning to address that because that doesn't happen to good Christian girls. But the truth is it's, it's happening all the time. So we wanted to make a place where women could reach out, ask questions, figure out are they in an abusive situation because sometimes even that definition is hard to come by.
1: Right. So,
0: yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, well, uh, I guess uh, to bring that up, uh, stuff that has been happening recently. Uh, yeah, this stuff that needs to be talked about. I, I think that the church doesn't ignore it, I don't think. Maybe you can speak more about this. Uh, but I think that they just didn't know that it was happening because it's not something you talk about openly. And since men are generally uh, the leaders in the church – they don't experience this stuff and they don't hear about it. So they don't really think it's happening. Is that what you're seeing or
0: that? That's a lot of what I'm seeing. And, uh, you know, and you tie that up with the pride factor that comes along with, you know, I'm a Christian wife. Then I'm going to pray harder. I'm going to have more faith. I'm going to be more submissive and this is going to fix my marriage. And so often the, the woman gets blamed when the marriage fails, even though she's worked the perfect little formula and, it, it's like God has abandoned them. And I've seen a lot of women lose their faith over this. And When the truth is, you know, we live in a fallen world. Everybody has free will. These men are choosing to violate these women in horrible ways. And instead of, you know, instead of saying, oh, yeah, it's the one's fault, we're turning the conversation around. Where, no, every individual has a responsibility for their own actions and what they're going to accept and what they're going to do. And trying to get that conversation going because the, the, the men... Are often the perpetrators and they don't want to believe that not only are they not capable of it but then their best friend isn't and the guy sitting you know to the so there's a lot of denial and yeah. a lot of big sure. violence, and it's kind of a combination it's the worst of both worlds
1: yeah and again it's uh it's not just the problem that there are abusive men out there it's that uh, a lot of men aren't really talking about it or don't want to believe it, uh, I myself remember, I mean, nowadays, now since all of this stuff is coming out about Hollywood and in uh, in Washington, uh, I just remember when I was younger, I remember a friend of mine just, I mean, uh, maybe I should, <laughs> this is too personal, but sexually assaulted a woman, not... And at the time, it was just like I was disgusted, but I just like let it go because, well, he didn't do a lot to her. He didn't do, you know, something over the top. But now looking back on it, I'm like, so I kind of ignored it. And I was bothered by it, of course, but I'm like just shook my head. I don't think I would do that now because now I know better. And I'm just because I, I didn't consider it assault at the time.
0: Oh, that, that's, that's so typical because we are not putting the proper label on things. Right. And boys will be boys and, oh, he didn't mean it. And, and it all gets back. It's, it's the woman's fault for putting herself in a vulnerable situation, for trusting the guy, for wearing that skirt, wearing those shoes. You know, she was asking for it and then we downplay it and it's like, oh, it's no big deal. And so we, we conditioned our, our particular culture, church culture to, to accept this behavior and overlook it, to keep the peace, because, you know, you don't want to be divisive in right, the church right. college. Right. And I, I think it's time that, yeah, we start getting a little bit more divisive and we start standing up for what's right. And I mean, I can go on the soapbox all day long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well,
1: but but here's the problem with that argument, uh, Emily, is that uh, I don't remember anybody in the Bible ever saying things that offended people and that divided people. I oh, mean, Paul or Peter, or Jesus, <laughs> I don't remember them doing such things
0: oh, where, where do we want to start we can start with genesis one where you know the whole chapter is about division it's dividing light from dark earth <laughs> from yeah. water we can, we can start there joe we can build this up i promise you
1: <laughs> it, so okay so yeah it, it actually does happen constantly and is
0: we go right through to sheeps and goats you know that the bible is all about division so uh, i don't know why we, we bought into that other than it's just easier to play nice and I think particularly, you know, I'm in Northeastern Oklahoma, and so we aren't quite Southern. Please don't call us Southern. We're Okies. Um, but, you know, there, there's that still that bless your heart, sweet tea attitude that goes on. And as, especially in churches, because, you know, women who, who are bossy or women who stand up, well, she doesn't play well with others. You need to keep your distance. And, you know, and I've ran into that with myself because, you know, we don't talk about this stuff. It's improper to talk. And I'm like. You know, Jesus wasn't always proper, but he was always appropriate. Right, And so I think that's kind of become my life mission and goal. And so that's why I can watch this movie with you, because I know a lot of people who can watch this movie with you.
1: Yeah, I know. That's, which I thought that you were perfect for this because, uh, like you said, when you wrote this book that was talking about topics like about sexuality that uh, people don't really talk about that wasn't really your focus and it's not really what you wanted to do necessarily but you were kind of brought into it it kind of came up for you and you felt that you needed to talk about it right. so the main thing that you are interested in from what i under uh from you know uh from what i remember talking to you about is you are into like old school uh old school <laughs> old testament <laughs>
2: In uh, as old
1: school as it comes yes. yeah. <laughs> the old uh, the Old Testament and I think that that's perfect for this movie because it does talk about um, sacrifice and you know a God that demands sacrifice and I think that that's like one of the t- main topics we're going to be talking about but there is a hint of sex and sexuality that we can also tackle. So I again th- th- thank you so much for doing this because this is uh, gonna be a lot of fun.
0: I think so, too. And, you know, I've got to say, when I when I rewatched the movie, I was shocked by how many F-bombs were dropped. Oh, yes. So, uh, you know, something to be I'm not trying to give away everything. You know, let me let me usurp your program for those of you who might be offended. Um, but the, uh, yeah. So but things like that, I think when you when you deal with the Old Testament as it's presented and when you deal with women who've been in these kinds of situations, things like this can't offend you. You, you, there's not enough time or energy. You you have to have kind of that thick skin. Right. So, but and I and Nathan would get on to me if I did not mention this because um, you, know, you had Nathan on the last program. I am the aunt who, if you leave your kids with me, I will tell them scary stories. <laughs> uh, but. I'm going to be uh, working on a podcast with Nathan and uh, we're going to get that out soon and where I can return back to the theology because the theology is what informed my opinions on the sexuality and on the abusive relationships. So um, be looking for us. We're coming soon.
1: Yeah. and we'll, so. I'll certainly be talking about it here and I will link to it on the Facebook and the Instagram and everywhere I can because I can't wait to hear that. So, uh, Awesome yeah, so let's get into the movie. like uh maybe I should remind everybody if you if you don't like horror movies, that's okay. You don't have to have seen this movie, uh, you know, to listen to the podcast. Uh, there's a lot of drug use, a lot of language, there's a sex scene. Uh, a lot of gore because it's a horror movie. So, listen to the uh, coming attractions episode where I basically t- give you the plot of the movie so that you're not lost. I don't think you will be because we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff uh, aside from the plot. But uh, if you're not going to be watching the movie, it's okay. We're just going to be talking about topics in general. Uh, and also, uh, you know, of course, because of all those offensive things, for lack of a better word, that are going to be. Uh, uh, that are going to be happening in the movie. We're going to be talking about that, too. So uh, don't worry if you don't want to see the horror movie. It's fine because, uh, you know, uh, you, you've heard the plot in the coming attractions, and now uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the movie coming up. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So uh, as always, I'm going to do a countdown. Three, uh, two, one, 3 2 1 and then press play and then that's when you guys press play and I'll be describing a little bit of what's coming up. So uh, three two one play. Alright. Alright, we see gears. A lot of gears. Turn in. A little
0: steampunk action going yeah. on there.
1: Keyhole, pulling back, doors open, lions gate. So if you're, you can be synced up with us there. Um, and I, I always ask this of my uh, guests, Emily. Uh, were you raised in the church, or did you come to church later in life after a life of sinful debauchery? Or tell us your, <laughs> your Christian okay. history. I,
0: that. I do want to point out while the credits are going, like the whole plot's right here in the credits. Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: And, but uh, absolutely, grew up in the church. Grandpa was a preacher. My whole family was involved in ministry in some form or another growing up. And you know, I had all the stickers on the Sunday school chart, and it wasn't <laughs> until I married the guy who looked good on paper, and he, you uh, this little checklist that your uh, that your youth director have you fill out for your perfect mate. He he hit all those. Taught Sunday school class, played, played piano in the church, and when our marriage fell apart, my faith fell apart, and so oh. it wasn't. <laughs> I didn't get real about my faith until until I started trying to figure out who I was and who God said I was. And so, you know, little prodigal son, Jonah uh, in the belly of the whale moment.
1: So Well, uh, let me then point out, ladies, uh, I might not check out all those boxes, but that can only be a good thing, as uh, Emily just told you. <laughs> so...
0: Uh... <laughs> uh, no, I, I do... The, uh, the movie, I think this is good to point out. This is rather clever. Uh, they open this up with a discussion about fertility issues. Right. <laughs> and, uh, every ancient Near Eastern culture, and I think probably pretty much all ancient cultures, fertility issues were the core of their religion. Yeah. And so I thought it was really interesting. These guys who are involved in giving the sacrifice and facilitating the sacrifice uh, are dealing with this right so uh, but it's very subtle, I don't think if if you I didn't pick up it on the first time, it was the second time around I'm like, ah, wait a <laughs> minute <laughs> yeah that,
1: that, again, this is one of these movies where uh it rewards rewatching uh like you saw, like you just mentioned at the very beginning, there's images of these ancient sacrifices, these ancient human sacrifice uh, sacrificial rituals. And you don't really know what those images are necessarily the first time you watch it because you don't know what's happening in the movie. And uh, and I think a lot of people were upset by the movie because, you know, it's a movie about a cabin in the woods. These teenagers, these college kids, you know, in the cabin in the woods and these monsters come and kill them all. But it starts off in this office building. So it's a a huge curveball right at the beginning so I almost go ahead
0: for a few minutes. You almost forget about that for a few minutes. And right. then you start to do the plot with the kids and it, it and so it's kind of like, what, what is going on here? Is this really associated with the rest of it at all? Right. And I, because I actually got to watch this the first time with my daughter and, and now she's 20, so nobody freak out. <laughs> and we have, dissected movies since the time she was little. This is actually one of our family pastimes. And so we were even right here on the scene where the two girls, we've been introduced to them, Jules and Dana, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and uh, they are, they're having their discussion and we're already, okay, so this is an offense movie. I'm going to use the term we use at home, the sacrificial slut. We already had her picture. We we knew exactly who she is. (laughs) And, you know, people later identify her as the whore. Right. So, and, and their names. I actually stopped and I looked up the names of all of them. Really? And Jules, Yes. Jules means youth. And we find out later on that youth is an important component in the sacrifice. Right. Dana is the feminine version of Daniel, which means uh, God is my judge. So, huh. again, the movie's very... Too clever for its own good. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think most people are going to get this,
2: <laughs>
0: but yeah. I'm a research geek. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> but here's the funny thing about it is that these are all, what uh, I guess if, uh, you know, uh, the plot of the movie is that these are kids. These are young college kids who are being sacrificed by some underground government agency. They're human sacrifices to appease these gods that live inside the earth. And they want to be entertained now by these sacrifices, and so uh, the fact is is that these guys they're not the characters who they become at first. They're all really intelligent. They're all athletes, or you know, they're just really smart people, and then they kind of degenerate into these uh, stereotypical figures uh, later on.
0: Well, and it's even funny because they've introduced Kurt now, and he—he's your athlete, is how they label him. And his yeah. name, uh, you know, it, it's a play on words because it—Curtis means courteous, you know, polite and kind. But right. then you talk about the Kurt, you know, being short with someone, and his character actually follows that arc.
1: Yeah, <laughs> very I good point. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You want something researched? I'm the person to call.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome, yeah. And then the pothead here shows up. <laughs> uh,
0: Marty is my favorite character. He has so many layers to him, I know. and he's the most interesting. Because, but we've all got a pothead friend, don't we?
1: Yeah, we do. And that's the thing is that most of my you know people that I've known who were potheads were real dum dums. But uh, you always know a few of those really brilliant guys who just love smoking pot for some reason. And they're, they're just really smart. And you
0: know, all, all the ones I've known who are like that, it's because their brain is going so fast. right? And the pot slows it down. And this is not an endorsement of pot no, or not to... an endorsement no. of pot. This is just, that's <laughs> when I talk to them, this is what I hear. and Because... Marty actually is kind of the prophetic voice of the show yeah as society needs to crumble and he's got all this great wisdom and he's always referring back and but Marty just to continue with the name theme uh, means of Mars it, it's a name to show that he is a warrior and of course he emerges a, as the
1: warrior yeah with his so, uh, bong uh, what, what is it <laughs> the con- bong thermos
0: <laughs> oh my goodness yes
1: it, is wonderful.
0: It, it's amazing Oh, drug addicts become engineers.
1: Yeah, they... <laughs> yeah. Um, A thing that I wanted to talk about, uh, maybe for a second, uh, that we uh, that passed up a little while ago. Uh, the the main character, I, forget, I can't believe I don't remember their names. Uh, is it Dana? Mhm. She's sleeping with her professor, and I think he just yeah. broke it off. So I don't know. I mean, I guess that's to show that she's not actually the virgin of the, you know, as uh, virginal as the gods would would like.
0: Right. Right. Well, and so Gordy Weaver kind of points that out. She kind of shrugs at the end and says, uh, yeah. you
1: know,
0: we work with what yeah. we've got. <laughs> right. But, but, I mean, you can see that she was definitely still devoted to him. She's conflicted over the Holden character, whether or not she should be attracted to him when she's still in love. With this man that she cares enough to sketch so perfectly, right?
1: Um, and so, can we talk about that a bit? Uh, the idea of um, of professors or sleeping with their students, uh, the idea or bosses sleeping with their secretaries or whatever, coaches, athletes, whatever. This idea of people who are in charge or who are in power who kind of seduce maybe people who okay. are. Um, it, a lot of people think that that's like well they know what they're getting into, themselves into these young female students or male students it could they they're they're grown-ups they're they know better and if they get hurt then that's their own fault but isn't there like a kind of a manipulation for, by people who are in power do you think? I, I think
0: there is I, I think there really is and, and i think you know, I, I want to go on record as someone who teaches college classes. I have never done this, nor will I ever. Um, so, so y'all clear. Uh, but there is, um, yeah, because there's this whole authority figure thing, especially at that age in a woman's life, she's leaving kind of the protection of her, her father, uh, if it's a good situation or seeing a father figure for the first time. And uh, there. Then there's, you know, obviously there could be a payoff. Uh, I always tell my students, you know, you want an automatic A, buy me good stuff. Um, (laughs) Totally joking, kind of. And, but the there, yeah, and I think we have to be very careful, and I think that's part of being a responsible adult uh, as someone who has that power. And, of course, you know, we see this in the Bible with King David where he uses this with Bathsheba, and he goes and gets her. She couldn't have said no. Yeah. And, you know, and I've, I've been in those situations where I've had employers and even I've had profs hit on me. And, uh, you know, I, fortunately I was together enough to say no. But even as someone who, who knew it was definitely the wrong move, there was still the pressure and there was still always that doubt and fear would I keep my job? Would I keep a good grade? And oh, I actually wound up losing a job over it. So, of course, you know, it all was politically correct. So, right. Because. <laughs>
1: People. <laughs> so, uh, so now we're at uh, God. I don't, I don't even remember what they call this guy. But uh, if if nobody's, uh, I think I've already mentioned this in the coming attractions. But this is obviously an al- uh, a metaphor for horror movies. This is literally a horror movie about horror movies. And um, according to the story, gods that demanded a sacrifice used to just accept a, you know, as they mentioned later on, a girl being thrown into a volcano or just a heart being ripped out of somebody's chest. That's all they wanted before, but now their tastes have become more complex and they want to see a story. Mm-hmm. And uh, what the metaphor, of course, being that we, as horror movie fans, you know, we, we expect there to be a story with our horror movies. And uh, this figure is always is the warning. You know, the, these kids are going to a cabin in the woods and this creepy guy is telling them, if you go there, horrible things are going to happen and they choose to ignore him. And so it's I the think, Oracle,
0: you know, yeah,
1: exactly. And so there's a lot of horror what? movie. Um, what do you call it? Uh, uh God, what do you call those? Uh, eh, anyways, see again.
0: The cliches, cliches, stereotype.
1: right? And I think that's that's the point is that we, of course, as the film watchers, are the gods. We decide whether this movie is good or bad, and uh, the person I mean, who that's... controls the organization is called the director. Go ahead. What mm-hmm. were you saying?
0: I, I had not. I hadn't thought of it from that perspective, but that's a good point because, uh, yeah, we kind of have the omniscient view we we know what's going on and in that respect it kind of reminds me of the book of Job because you know Job starts out with this behind the scene peek into heaven that Job never figures out this is a bigger narrative and mm-hmm. it's more than just you know circumstance so, I, I but I hadn't thought about it as us being the gods so pretty cool analogy there
1: yeah because um you know we when we buy a ticket to a movie we're essentially taking part in the death of a couple of characters. We, we are demanding to see blood and death and gore. And if we, don't, if we aren't satisfied by what we see, we get angry and we go on our computers and we write horrible reviews. And, uh, that's exactly what these people are afraid of. They're going to destroy our world. So I, I just thought that this was a really great allegory for that.
0: Oh, it, it, it is, and now I'm having to, like, factor that in to, to <laughs> my other observations. <laughs> and I love this one spider, and I'm sleeping in the camper. You know, like, that's <laughs> the scariest thing that's going to happen to us. <laughs> uh,
1: okay, so let's talk about horror movies in general. Um, I mean, uh, what does uh, Philippians say? Whatever is true, whatever is beautiful, whatever is nice and sweet and puppy dogs and... Kitty cats, you know dwell in these things
0: <laughs> the problem is if we apply that literally as in that's the only thing we're supposed to see, then we can't read the old testament there right. there's a reason why people only know like five stories from the Old Testament, you know it, David and Goliath know his ark and you, because they these are the ones that are safe to translate into flannel graphs and. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, know, you can't tell the Levite and the concubine story from Judges with Veggie Tales. That that's just wrong.
2: Mm. And
0: so, it's very. I, I think we we have to be careful. You know, is that a command not to not to ever see these things? I, I don't think we can live in a world that way. I think it's completely unrealistic. So I think it's more of a command that we are to make the decision to consciously bring these things into our awareness whenever mm. we can. So
1: so then horror movies are okay, you're saying?
0: I think horror movies serve a purpose. Uh, I, I don't think most of us have ever had a gun put in our face.
1: Hmm. I
0: don't think most of us have ever really lived in moments of sheer terror. Sure. And, uh, you know, fear is a necessary and vital emotion. And there's a very fine line between fear and awe. And we've even lost that sense of awe in our society. I and mean, when we can explain away a rainbow with prisms and, and light, and we fail to see the God who created the, the rainbow. Sure. And so I think that people who, who are lacking that awe are often drawn to horror movies because it's the closest counterfeit they can get.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But at the same time, I think it reveals something about the human condition.
1: Well, so, it, it's similar to roller coasters, uh, you know, people love going on roller coasters because they they can fall from a high distance and be safe.
0: Exactly, exactly. You know, it's, it's that adrenaline rush that that we're all. I, I know I'm looking for. I, I love the excitement <laughs> of all that stuff. Right. But.
1: And I think that's that's a kind of a thing that um, maybe some Christians uh, don't uh, don't understand about this stuff is that a You know, uh, art is supposed to explore the full range of emotions and feelings and experiences. You know, when you look at a painting and it makes you sad or it, you know, it makes you uncomfortable. Like, that's the point. It's not like uh, most people don't go to horror movies and like, you know, are completely like, you know, bloodthirsty to see people dying necessarily. They're looking.
0: You're right. They They want to see the hero survive and conquer. And that's the problem is we in our Christian society, you know, we're all about Thomas Kincaid paintings and precious moments figurines. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) they've done brain scans, actually. And okay, I'm not going to get too much of my soapbox, but (laughs) these these things actually stimulate the same part of your brain as porn does. And
1: you're not making a very good argument here for
2: it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, it, what it do, well what it does is it gives you that emotional payoff without any investment. Hmm. And whenever you put a little dirt in the painting or in your subject, then now you're asking for an emotional investment, and you have to grapple with it as what is redemptive about this, what what is the beauty, and right. that's that's what art should do. And I, I love it because when you look at you know the greatest piece of artwork in the Bible aside from creation and humanity itself. Uh, it's the tab- tabernacle and the temple. And people talk about how beautiful those things were, but thousands of animals were killed there. So much blood, so much dung, so much, you know, all this awful that was, uh, that was there and present in the middle of all this beauty. So even God's own artwork contains this element of ugly that, make you gra- that makes you grapple with what is better and you know, the cross itself. Horrifying. Yes. Yeah. Um, and without but without the horrifying aspect of it, you don't have the beauty of the resurrection. So
2: yeah, this they, is yeah. yeah that <laughs> this was is my <laughs>
0: this is this is something I'm passionate about because aside from all the other stuff uh, art is actually what my first degree is in, and uh, my master's thesis is a comparison of Bezalel, the artist of the tabernacle and Jeremiah the prophet and artists and prophets in ancient cultures shared the same role, and that's to to speak to God on behalf of the people and speak to people on behalf of God and you have to be creative to do that
1: yeah. so i yeah, I mean. When it comes to art, I mean there was so much music and dancing and in you know, in the old testament and mm-hmm. Jesus told parables that yes. uh, weren't always happy pappy endings to them.
0: No. I mean <laughs> we're gonna kill the, the the uh vineyard owner's son.
1: Yeah. That
0: that's a beautiful story,
1: you know? Yeah. <laughs> Surely they won't kill him.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I, just, I, I, sometimes it bothers me how far we've removed ourselves from those elements of what God has revealed to us because the ugly elements are just as important as all the beauty we find. And the beauty is kind of, kind of shallow and meaningless if you mm-hmm. don't know that the beauty comes from the salvation, but you have to have something to be saved from. And so you have to acknowledge that about yourself and the world you're living in. We need to be saved from something whatever you want, to, you know,
1: say, evil, whatever you want to call it. Right. And uh, there's something that I've been wrestling with for a while. Uh, when it comes to horror movies, when it comes to sex and nudity in film, it's um, just thinking about how we often criticize the world for not having our standard of morality, forgetting, of course, the fact that they don't know any better. They look right. at sexuality as something free and that everyone should experience and everyone should have. And we disagree with that, of course, but the fact is, is that they just don't know the truth. And so yes. we ho- we get upset because we hold them to the same standards as us. But at the same time, if God created the world and he expects a certain thing, should we not hold them to that standard?
0: Paul, and I, I would have to look up a reference, uh, you know, Paul out says, you know, what what do we have to do with judging the, the world? We, we don't. Uh, we, we are to hold each other as believers accountable, but we should not be imposing our standards on the outside world. Oh. And I think if we want to um, if we want to change the world, then we live to our standards the best we possibly can. And when we mess up, we acknowledge it just as publicly as we messed up. And, uh, you know, I, I, because I've adopted this attitude, I have friends that run the gamut mm. and uh, because they know that, you know, we, we talked about pot go, I, I don't use pot. Um, but if somebody else's choose to, I, I, it's accepted. We don't really talk about it. I know they know, they know, I know, but I'm not going to preach at them. Right. And, it, and I have a friend who, you know, she's an atheist, dear, dear friend, and, we knew each other five years before she finally said, okay, let's talk about this. And she told me the reason why she talked to me about it was because I never once came down on her for the things that she was doing. And, you know, so I I try to teach, treat my unbelieving friends as honored guests, because in my view, that's how they are. And I need to, to just as Jesus was kind and receptive to the people outside of the covenant of the Jewish faith, I needed to treat non-believers outside the covenant of the Christian faith
1: the same way he did. Right. Because I I often, like, explain to some of my friends or some of the people that uh, wonder, you know, I have a lot of atheist friends. I have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, people who aren't kind to Christianity uh, sometimes. And I always kind of explain, well, would I be better, would they be better off without a Christian friend or with a Christian friend? Somebody who right. is just is obnoxious and, you know, is, won't stop complaining about what they are, what, you know, the fact that they're not Christian. Or would it be better for them to have somebody who, you know, who who can, you know, be a good friend to them and represent at least a Christian point of view in their life?
0: Right. And I think we can. Being harsh and judgmental, Uh, and I think we can do it in ways that are very clear that that's not my value, but I'm not going to be mean to you because you're doing something different. And you know, I I think that's part of that seed, you know, sowing the seed. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you put the seed in the ground and you step back, you go on about your life, you you don't stand there watching it going, Grow. And I think it's so often when we try to quote unquote witness to people, we, we plant the seed. And then we stand there poking at it, trying to, get it to burn up faster now. And that's not how God works. And that that's we, – we don't trust the process that he's put in place.
2: Right. And
0: we and aren't trusting him. So yeah. I just realized I say a
1: lot. <laughs> uh, here's an interesting thing that uh, these people who are set up, I mean, they make it clear that they feel bad for what they're doing. They have – kind of uh pause about having to kill these people for but they still they still do it because for the betterment of the world uh but they're placing these bets to see who what monster they're going to summon to be killed by and it just reminds me of like a lot of times you hear about doctors or uh you know mta guys or that was did i say again EMT. EMT, right. (laughs) Sorry. They kind of joke around about the horrible things that they've seen because they have to kind of deal with this stuff off off hours. You know, they experience horrible things, but they still have to function. And so they could either dwell on it or laugh about it.
0: Yeah, I I am going to point out real quick. This is to me is like the most disturbing scene in the entire movie. Right. Just, just to to be upfront, and I found it probably the most offensive out of all the stuff that goes down
1: in this movie. Yeah, I'm wondering but, what the point of this kind of was, if not to try to scare people, but.
0: Well, that I think is just showing how far she has just she's lost it. You know that that blonde hair coloring going through her head. And seeping into her brain. But I was going to I wanted to build on what you said about the EMTs and doctors kind of laughing and joking about it mm-hmm. uh, in our private Facebook group for the women, um, which I'll put a link on my, my Facebook page for anybody who's interested. Um, there's a lot of jokes. There's a lot of crude jokes. But when you're talking about sexual assault and rape and, you know, all those terrible things, you almost have to have the humor. To, to deal with it to cope. And right. so we've had these people who've been in part of our group and say, Man, y'all guys just you aren't taking this seriously and I'm like, No, this is how we we function. Mm-hmm. Because if it was all in gloom, we wouldn't have any hope. So we can laugh about it. And yeah, some of the jokes are, are crude and what have you. And I am in there participating. I'm not, you know, saying anything <laughs> about it. any twisted sense of humor. Right. But that's what I think allows me to be, have these conversations day in and day out. So I think this is, yeah, these guys on here, they're, they're doing what, what humans do to cope. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is, how hard do you take it?
1: Right. I think that's something that I wrestle with. There's, um, there's a podcast uh, out there called my favorite murder. And it's a true crime podcast where two uh, com- comedy writers and comedians, they kind of, tell stories of serial killers or horrible murders that have happened. And it's a comedy podcast. And the whole thing, they've had these discussions before where they, people criticize them for making jokes about these horrible experiences. But what they're bringing out is the fact that they are afraid of this happening because of course, serial killers often kill women and Mm -hmm. they themselves are afraid of that, of these horrible things happening to them. So they kind of, and like they've discovered that there's a lot of women who watch the like CSI, you know, shows or what is that? Uh, uh, Law and Order SVU, which are the, yeah. cr- the sex crimes unit. A lot of women watch these because it's it freaks them out, but they kind of want to confront it and they want to see it and witness it so they can kind of cope with it. And joking around about the thing that you're afraid of helps you kind of be able to go outside, go outside again and live your life without being crippled right. by that fear.
0: Well, it, it's very cathartic sometimes to, to watch these things. And I know a lot of people who, um, well, I'll, I'll just use myself as an example. After my first marriage, uh, my ex-husband tried to kill me and that was like the tip of the iceberg. But I became so emotionally numb, PTSD, everything else, in order to process through the emotions, watching something terrible or sad or gut-wrenching was actually how I started learning how to feel again. Because I could feel it for these people on the screen, and I didn't have to deal with my own emotion, even though I was kind of getting that little bit of emotional release.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And so a lot of times i found that with victims, that they will they will do things like that in order to try to remember what it's like to feel, because there's just so much scar tissue over that wound that emotion is almost it's almost non-existent, and then then we start dealing with depression and all other sorts of things going on, sure. and so we. Yeah, so I think that you know even horror movies or like the law and order that that all becomes a point of catharsis and if you, if used correctly now if you become obsessive you know get some help some crazy needs professional management I know mine does so <laughs> it, it's, it's okay and I spend 90% of my time telling people it's okay get get help when you need help um, you would if you break a leg you're going to the emergency room
2: yeah
0: why are our emotions and, and mental state any different? than a broken life. and when when our emotions and mental state are so much more important than a leg or an arm so okay there's my public service now <laughs>
1: <laughs> right um yeah I, I just i couldn't agree more uh with that um they wanted to make a point and i completely forgot it and i think it's but eh, um, it'll come to me
0: I love this scene too right here because they're going through the artifacts mm-hmm. and they, they, they've kind of, they all have an option. I mean, there's several different roads they can choose, but in the end, their fate is still sealed. And so now we get into free will, predestination, all of these great <laughs> topics that, you know, libraries have been written on trying to explain it and understand it. Yeah. So, uh, And, of course, we wind up with the Buckners.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, All these artifacts uh, represent a different thing that can come and kill them. And, uh, yeah, and what we find out here is that uh, they've all been drugged in a certain way to not hear instructions because apparently there's, like, little voices that instruct them to do things. And uh, since everybody's been smoking and drinking poisoned or drugged, you know, alcohol and drugs... Uh, except for the fool, or <laughs> he's actually been smoking his own marijuana that uh, the uh, the agency or whatever the organization didn't know he had, and so he's able to see through the veil of you know that's which been... is Go it's ahead. really
0: interesting from an ancient um, religion perspective because all ancient religions relied on drugs, sex, uh, sleep deprivation uh, physical pain in order to remove veils so you could hear the voices so sure. it was it very it's very interesting that they they kind of weave this in uh, the writers did in, in a different way mm.
2: and,
0: and I do have to say speaking of twisted humor a while ago um, husband Bulge is now a part of my permanent vocabulary <laughs> because who in the world thought that up. <laughs> I grew up in. I thought I had heard every euphemism possible. <laughs> <laughs> so that one's just. That one's great.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, I love that one. And here yeah. we're about to see the whiteboard of all the monsters that could have killed them. I actually wrote down uh, a few of them that are on the board, <laughs> uh, including a uh, werewolf, a uh, wraith, clown, uh, Reptilius, Witches, Sexy Witches, Hell Lord, which is, uh you know, uh, uh, it's kind of like a, an homage to the Hellraiser monster from the oh. horror movies. Yeah, but they just announced that the Buckner's won and that's the whiteboard of all the bets. And Well,
0: you know, it, this is realistic. Go ahead, because no, something's going to kill us.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah, but there's like uh, in all, a lot of these are based on horror movie monsters. Like I said, like the Hellraiser, uh, the Hell Lord is based on the Hellraiser, uh, demon, uh there's Deadites which is from Army of Darkness, there's Angry Molesting Tree from <laughs> uh, the Evil Dead. And
0: I missed that.
1: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Clowns of course from It, I mentioned that one before. And uh, the dolls which are based on uh, the, the, uh, the movie The Strangers, which uh, a couple of years ago was a home invasion movie about these people that uh, wear kind of doll masks and kill a couple.
0: I had forgotten about that movie.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, these are all uh, based on horror movie tropes. And that's the word I was trying to find before. Ah. And these are all monsters that appear in previous horror movies because this is about deconstructing horror movies. Um, I was reading a review that uh, Plugged In wrote about this movie, um, uh, which is a Christian uh, site that doesn't like anything that isn't Christian,
2: mostly. Okay.
1: (laughs) I mean, not to criticize it, but that's what they do. And they said that Joss Whedon made this movie as to kind of deconstruct and criticize modern-day horror movies because horror movies today are really, you know, a lot more violent and cynical and torturous mm-hmm. than before. And so mm-hmm. they were asking, well, why would, they, why would he use that kind of horror? Why would he take it so far in order to criticize it? Like, he's criticizing these terrible movies but still using that kind of torturous stuff you know, in, in his movies. And do you think it's necessary for him to show that violence in order to criticize it? Or is he being a hypocrite?
0: Oh, wow. That's a really good question, right? (laughs) Because in some ways, how do you make the point without providing examples? And I, you know, when I studied psychology, uh, what we studied were case, you know, case files and case studies. And we had to, in order to criticize abuse and uh, mental illness. We had, we had to look at dead on. We had to see, see examples of it in order to understand it. So I, I think there's a case to be made that it was necessary.
1: Right. And he, I don't think he uses it too exploitatively because he's still making a horror movie.
0: Right. and I don't think the monsters really get that much screen time. Yeah. Uh, they, they are, we know they're there, um, but there's never really a chance to focus in other than a few scenes with the Buckners to really focus in on one. And I think with like the merman at the end. And, <laughs> but overall, they, they, they're just kind of flashes. Right. And they, they show up and then they go away. Good. I will say this is interesting because the one name that threw me off uh, in all of this was Holden. Because that name actually means deep valley. And I'm like, okay, what's the deal? But then I started going back and reviewing my, you know, pulling up reading from way back when catcher in the rye. Ah,
2: yes. And so we
0: have a nice little nod to Holden Caulfield and the, his, you know, how much he disdained corruption around him and was it going to affect him? And in, in his disdain, uh, he, he actually becomes corrupted himself. Right. And way oversimplification get that <laughs> but you know and, and we've seen this this Holden is very conflicted just like from Catcher on the Rise yeah. so I I thought it was kind of interesting because I'm like why would they pick this name all the other names are so
1: on point <laughs> right.
0: and then Holden what
1: <laughs> <laughs> and if we notice here everybody's falling into their place into their character because uh, Kurt is actually a really smart guy. And that's what, uh, what he's pointing out here, what Marty's pointing out is that, uh, you know, Kurt is a, he went to college on a, on a sociology scholarship and he's calling his friend an egghead or, um, you know, a nerd. And of course we see that the athlete character is now wearing a letterman jacket and the, the scholar, the guy who plays the scholar, is now wearing glasses and he's reading. They're all falling into their roles of these stereotypical uh, horror movie tropes, you know, that we see in other horror movies. He's
0: reading Latin. Yeah. I
1: mean,
0: <laughs> it's my favorite line from the and I missed it. Uh, you know, don't read the Latin. I'm drawing a line in the sand right here. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Marty, yes, I'm with Marty on this one. Don't know, and it cracks me up that they always get a Latin for these things. But you know, yeah. I'm ancient language nerd, so it's like, why Latin? There's why not Acadian or Ugaritic or? You
1: know? <laughs> because you would have to know about those languages in order to put them in your movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Come on, they researched everything else so well. And I, the other thing I thought was really interesting was they specifically referenced. Sweden, Japan, and the United States are all in the same sentence. Sure. And there are these uh, major studies being done comparing and contrasting these specific three countries. Hmm. Because there is, uh, as a matter of fact, there's one book out that's really pretty big, The Evolution of um, Master States. Hmm. And it's talking about sociology and religion and economics and how all of this plays in to the individual cultures and why there are the differences. So I kind of took that as a representation of, you know, this, this is global. This is not just a United States conspiracy. This is a global conspiracy, which you don't have to know what I just said to get that because obviously we have, we see that it's going on around the
1: world. Mm. Oh, and I should mention if anybody struggles with uh, temptation or something, uh, there's about to be a nude scene and a sex scene. So avert your gaze, okay. uh, cause it's going to get a little, uh, I don't know what would you say. Saucy. Huh? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and I think it's very interesting too, that they brought up, uh, you know, the guys in the booth who are, you know, come on, let, let's see the boobs. And the, the security guy, Mordecai, also a great name. Right. Uh, cause you know, Esther's uncle in the book of Esther, um, he is, uh, you know, they're telling you we're not the only ones watching and, yeah. and that the, some kind of payoff were the gods in this. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there is uh, in ancient cultures part of making sure that the spring returned and that there was going to be fertility in the land where with temple prostitution and orgies and all of this stuff was part of. Making sure that the cycles were maintained, which really that's what this movie is about. It's about making sure the cycles stay in place, mm-hmm. because uh, the ancient Egyptians believed that if the cycles were ever written, then chaos was going to rise from under the ground, under the earth, and was going to gobble up all of humanity, which uh, ultimately happens because the cycle is broken in this movie.
1: Right. So. And, of course, in horror movies, uh, you know, there's always a nude scene. And I think um, Wes Craven uh, did the movie uh, Scream, which is in itself a deconstruction of horror movies. And uh, Mm -hmm. in the movie, uh, uh, Jamie Kennedy actually gives the rules for horror movies. And he says, uh, if you want to survive a horror movie, don't drink or smoke pot because you will be killed. If you don't. Oh, and also don't have sex. Because if you have sex, you will be killed. And, of course, he's deconstructing horror movies, which he, Wes Craven, made. He almost practically made up that rule in right. his horror movies, where women who have sex are killed, and they're killed badly.
0: Of and- course. Because women who have sex are evil. Even, you know, th- that this is something that is so ingrained in our cultural psyche. Sure. And women, sure. women who have sex, sex are evil. Uh, women who enjoy sex are doubly evil. Uh, this is for procreation only or at worst case scenario to keep your husband from sleeping around. This is the only reason good girls have sex. Right. And this is so prevalent. And it's such a lie.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and Joss Whedon made the point uh, in the commentary that, yes, because we, the, the film watchers, are the gods – we the reason we had to they had to show the boobs is because we as horror movie fans want to see boobs, and and so they showed them. But now he wanted to make sure that we never saw them again because he didn't want to sexualize her death, uh, and which it made him really uncomfortable that like you know people would want to see her boobs while she's being murdered, and so
2: well. yeah. We, we
0: we we have this really weird preoccupation with sex and violence in our in our culture. I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey proved that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Right. And so, but I, I did not realize that. But I that's I mean, again, that goes back to making one of the statements. Did he have to show it in order to make that statement? Probably. Uh, I I kind of I, I always feel sorry for the actors. I can't I can't imagine having to do that for a living. Yeah. But. I, I, as an artist who, you know, I recognize there sometimes nude is the only way to convey a specific message. And so I, I felt like it was, yeah, this is, this was done as well as you probably could do it in a horror movie without mm. it being, you top. and again, we're back to gears here because we're all part of a big machine. We, this is something that's been set in, you know, set in motion and we can't do a singling about it. Right. and. So and I also want to know how they get that much blood out of blood spilled on the ground. I, sorry, the. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I don't know blood. if uh, I think that that's different blood. Because I that, cause I, I, th- I wondered that too. But maybe is that her blood that filled that little canister, or did they already have pre-prepared blood for that ritualistic? I, I
0: thought I thought it was supposed to be her blood.
1: But
0: mm. Here he is. He's hearing. He's hearing the voices go for a walk. He recognizes it's not him. And mm. he's still going to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the really funny thing is, you know, also going back to ancient cultures, the, the fool or the madman and the prophet were often the same person.
2: Mm.
0: And because he, the, there was something in the insanity that allowed them to have a uh, Access to the spiritual realm, like other people couldn't, and, and David even at one point to hide from Saul, and this is in the Bible, um, pret- pretends to be mad, pretends to be crazy, so the people would think he was a prophet and he wouldn't be killed. Yeah. yeah. And the makeout scene, and, and again another tip to, to Holden here because Holden and Catch on the Rye, a woman, rebuffs him and he 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 goes with it.
2: Right.
0: So. <laughs> You yeah, I mean... didn't know you were such a weird <laughs> eclectic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and the you...
0: husband bulge.
1: The husband bulge, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's that's the crazy thing about these horror movies, and I think they that actually has gotten worse because now we're blatantly torturing women for being promiscuous. Uh just off the top of my head. Uh, I just remembered, uh, final destination three, um, where, you know, it's, if you don't know the plot of that movie, I don't think I need to go too into it, but there's a disaster which a lot of people die, but one person sees a vision of the disaster before it happens. And so he re- tries to rescue a bunch of people from dying, which he does, but then death has to come and claim those people who are supposed to die. And so in part three, there's these two very buxom, very attractive women who survived the disaster and then death comes after them. And so in the scene where they die, they actually strip down naked and then get into tanning booths and then burn alive. Like the tanning booths malfunction and they burn to death horribly. And it takes a long time. And like, I was really kind of disgusted by that. The fact that these women had to strip down naked, and and then be tortured like right after that. It, it, it and yeah, I, I, and I can just think of several uh, examples of when that happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I, well, it, we villainize sexuality so much, and it's and it, it's really an amazing gift that God has given to us. And when you really sit down and think about. mechanics and the emotional and mental uh, processes that go on it's amazing but so many people don't ever get to an experience a healthy sexual relationship right and uh, so the only thing they have to associate it with is violence and or it is being abused in in a sexual way and to actually reclaim that and make it part of God's gift and not something that's shameful and and, and we at the church, we're just as guilty as the outside world. I mean, there's the whole purity culture. You have to stay pure until marriage because, like, once you start having sex after marriage, you aren't pure anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the logic is, it is mind-blowing and baffling. And and so we we've started feeding into that. Uh, or We have been feeding into that for a very long time. And why wouldn't we think that the, the world would take our bad theology, and then just run with it. Right. And that's exactly what's going on in pop culture.
1: Yeah. um, Because and I I find myself a little bit guilty of this. Um, Horror movies are generally enjoyed by a lot of, like, nerdy, dorkier guys, guys that really (laughs) didn't get the girl, guys that – and I, I found myself being, like, a chubby, short guy growing up, I resented women because they didn't want to go out with me particularly attractive women and I'm just finding that in a lot of these horror movies that's that essentially what we're doing we're punishing women for being attractive because we can't have them and I thought that well maybe it's just me but when I reread the the the, the book 1984 by uh I figure, <laughs> what's it come on who's the writer uh- No, uh, (laughs) yeah. uh, (laughs) Orwell. Yeah. But, uh, in the very beginning, when our, the main character sees his female counterpart for the first time, the narrator says that he doesn't like her just looking at her. He doesn't like her because he, he knows he can't have her because she's too pretty for him. And I think that that's, what's happening in our culture right now or has probably always happened.
0: Oh, I think that's, that definitely. And the sad thing is it's not just a male female dynamic. It's also a, a female female dynamic uh, that we, we hate the pretty girls because um, I was the nerdy kid growing up, big ears, glasses, butt teeth. And um, you know, I, I really resented the girls with the perfect hair and, in the, this fashionable clothes and all of that stuff so the, there's that dynamic that happens and i i know a lot of nerdy girls who are into horror films because we know that as the virgins we are going to survive
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, and it all just keeps getting ingrained over and over and through all these various messages whether it's through movies through the church through the world that that they're even though sexuality is supposed to be celebrated and we're supposed to be free with it, you know, according to the world, just do what you want. There, There is still this underlying current of shame
1: right. uh, that leads to bitterness. But yeah, and, growing up, I always thought they had it the best. They are attractive. They could have anybody, any guy they wanted. They're loved by the world. And it turns out not so much that the attractive women actually suffer quite a bit for being attractive.
0: It, it's really weird because I had uh, my lower half of my face was reconstructed over my teen years. And a lot of people don't realize that. Hmm. So the, the end of my teen years was whenever that wrapped up, but then I immediately got married. And as uh, mid twenties, that's when I kind of got to enter the pretty girl, wor- pretty girl world. If mm-hmm. That doesn't sound too, too arrogant. Uh, and it's a totally different dynamic. And so I've kind of gotten to see both sides of it. Um, uh, not obviously from the high school stage with that, but there is a lot of pressure on women and it's a no win situation and mm-hmm. it's, it, it, the, the game is rigged just like with this movie, the, the game is rigged and you, you aren't, you aren't going to come out a winner unless, unless you redefine what winning looks like. Sure. And I think that's what the Christian faith does. It redefines what is winning.
1: Yeah. um, Because, yeah, and going back, I mean, talking about that, I mean, it's funny because the thing that uh, Joss Whedon, the writer of this uh, movie, uh, predicted is that uh, people, like, again, we're going to give spoilers because uh, theoretically you've already seen it and know the plot and how it ends. But, um, the god like they don't succeed in their in accomplishing their goals so the gods get angry and destroy the world well according to rotten tomatoes it got a 92% uh, fr- uh you know certified fresh rating by according to the film critics who watched the movie and thought that it was a wonderful deconstruction of horror movie but it got a 74% audience rating because the public didn't like it so much <laughs> so I thought that that was really interesting and then I did like a little I went and I saw it kind of like other movies that I really didn't like the horror movies that I didn't like and I just saw that like for example the movie Saw which was I I think that those movies like are like almost irredeemable because of how they just in, it almost like celebrates the torture and you know horror of you know killing people See,
0: and, and I'm hopeful to see
1: Saw 7 when it is released. <laughs> <laughs> but I, No, but I looked up the ratings and like, for example, Saw 2, uh, the movie Saw, got a 49%, but an 84% audience rating. Uh, mm-hmm. Saw 3 had a 27 really, critics did not like Saw 3, but the audience loved it and uh, got a 71% audience rating. It's almost like the reverse, like... Critics hated the Saw movies, but audiences loved it.
0: Well, and the same thing happened with The Village, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's movie. And I think part of that was just poor marketing because they marketed it as a horror movie, and it's really not. It's social commentary, right? And it's, and I think it's beautifully shot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, this was before Shyamalan lost his mind, <laughs> but <laughs> and that was actually what I used to introduce my daughters to horror movies. Because uh, they wanted to watch something, and we we, we watched that movie quite a bit and talked about the things that were used to to amp up the fear and the anticipation and sure. and I kind of love the scene here with the little Japanese girls holding hands uh, <laughs> to vanquish the the spirit whatever she is and turn her into a frog
1: right just, but again, uh, this also talks about the uh, the horror movie genres because this is very much a Japanese horror movie kind of monster or you know a lot of Japanese horror movies are about ghosts and such
0: well Japanese culture I mean we've got we've got angry spirits that that's very much a part of their world and uh that's I think it's interesting how many American horror movies are based on Japanese horror movies and people don't even realize it but you know what what do we do for American horror movies I mean yeah we got the rednecks but and I can say that I'm married to a redneck, so you know. <laughs> um,
1: but but we, like, we, I mean, we like horror, it's like slasher movies. We like you know killers that come after us, and Friday the Thirteenth, The Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, these slasher films where like somebody comes after you and cuts your head off with a machete.
0: I forget about that because I got this weird like pop culture gap because my parents were very much. Um, you don't listen to rock music, you, you don't watch horror films, because that's how you get demons.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, so that's, and so, you know, rock music, horror films, Dungeons and Dragons and the Smurfs, you don't <laughs> mess with them. That's how you, <laughs> yeah. Very much during that time. And, you know, 70s rock music and 60s rock music, absolutely permissible, but just not the 80s and 90s. No. <laughs> and
2: so I'm kind
0: of, yeah. And then, of course, Nathan being my brother, um, he's seven years younger than I am. And when he came along, well, yeah, you know, he's the boy. He can do whatever he wants to. Oh. So he he reintroduced me into pop culture, and he was the one who actually recommended my first horror movie as an adult.
1: Nice. So, yeah. Um. <laughs> but, yeah, I I wasn't allowed to watch the Smurfs because the uh, bad guy Gargamel was a uh, was a witch, and my mom felt that he was evil. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. And then uh, the sparks are blue, which represents their dead, based on a Hindu god. And yeah, My oh, mom. Oh, wow. a...
1: I never even thought about that, but that makes total sense.
0: Oh, it, it, uh, Azrael is a demon name and Second Temple lit. And uh, yeah, it's
1: mm-hmm. and, <laughs> it, 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 and craziness. Yeah, <laughs> let's not forget they are also communists. That is a communist village, and you can't deny that.
0: Oh, my goodness yeah and see I hadn't <laughs> thought about that but I don't do politics
1: because
0: <laughs> I am so immersed in religion that you know two social taboos you can't break both of them
1: sure well okay so let, let's talk religion then um, this is we're, we're we're pretty deep into the idea of sacrifice um, atheists would criticize uh christianity for believing in a god that demands a human sacrifice and Mm -hmm. I, i in my other podcast uh we read love wins and i think rob bell brings up the point that the reason why atonement theology isn't doesn't work as an idea is because to believe in it is to believe in a god that demands a human sacrifice which god would never do and Although we are Christians and we do believe in God and we do believe that Jesus Christ sacrificed Himself for us, we don't look at it as a human sacrifice, right? I mean, isn't?
0: And I think that's that's the key component right there uh, is that this is God sacrificing Himself, and I think we have such a limited view of Jesus. I mean, we celebrate His birthday. And we, we stop to think that we stop thinking about him as being eternal and that this is God who stepped up willingly on our behalf. Mm. And it, but we will celebrate. I can't remember the girl's name on, uh, you know, Hunger Games. Oh, yeah. You know, and we will we will celebrate that because we recognize, oh, yeah, this is this is her choosing this. Well, this is what God chose. And that's the fun thing about being sovereign it's mm. your way every day. and but at the same time he's allowed humanity to participate and you know we mess things up we break things and i always go back to that analogy of the three-year-old in the kitchen um that's what we are with god we're the three-year-old in the kitchen uh we we think we're helping but we're just making a bigger mess but because <laughs> our parent loves us they still want us there right. and so the, and that's the big difference between the, our God and the God of the ancient world who, who might demand human sacrifice uh, they they really, they were out to destroy humanity, they were out to keep humanity in submission uh, Christianity, Judaism it's all about elevating man and causing man to partner with God not about keeping us beaten down and subservient and now, you know, there's a place for submission i 100 percent believe that mm-hmm. and i don't think discount that but at the same time all these other religions humanity was an afterthought it was basically the gods created this world they realized it was a lot of work and upkeep they didn't want to clean up the gutters and so they created humanity to do all the dirty work and then they spent the rest of their lives trying to keep us in our proper place and Judaism and Christianity presents humanity as the centerpiece of creation, the celebrated thing that creation was made to house. And, and it's just such a flip flop in in perspective that it was earth shattering. And I don't think we as modern readers of the Bible realize how liberating this was to the ancient world, because mm-hmm. we are so familiar. I mean, you can get plastic crucifixes at the gas station for 98 cents. And it's become our faith has become that cheap and that's sad. Yeah. So I I think that when if we want to understand the story, we need to put ourselves back as much as we possibly can into the ancient context, because uh, as so many Bible scholars have pointed out, the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. And so we, we miss what it would have been like to live in this world where you are in constant fear of the gods
2: mm.
0: and actually have a God that you didn't have. Oh, my goodness. Wow. This is a God who, who loves me this much. Right. And I, I think we're missing that. And in today's culture, we, we miss that, that God loves us that much. This isn't just about arbitrary rules. This is about actually the proper boundaries that you need in any healthy relationship.
1: Sure. And, and so, well, um, a lot of human sacrifices in the Old Testament, though, in other cultures and other religions, it seems, right? Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm.
0: They're, 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 we, I mean, we have uh, excavations uh, of this. And then the Old Testament, this is one of the, the lessons we get out of Abraham offering Isaac, is God saying, No, this this isn't what I want. I'm glad you're willing to do this and be obedient, but this isn't really what I want. And that there's always going to be something in place as a human being because the goal was never to, to bring us to extinction. And these gods, I mean, it's even shown in this movie, the goal is to bring us to extinction.
1: You're right. And, and so, no, But, and, and there's even a part, like, there's even a. a, a a rule in the, in, in the, um, in the old, uh, God, I don't want to call them rules. (laughs) The, the old commandments where if you, if you promise God to kill a human being for him, he says, I don't want that, but because you made that promise, you have to keep it and we will replace that human life with money. Uh I mean, because God so doesn't want a human sacrifice you know that he says now you have to pay for it though and we will replace that life with with you know with cold hard cash so that you feel that sacrifice that that yeah. you made a stupid decision by promise me promising me that but you still have mm-hmm. to pay for it you still have to make good on that but i don't want human blood i want i want you know <laughs> you you still have to make good on that promise
0: well, and it's even extended, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, the Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And what they don't realize is even in that, that was abrogated over into a, a financial settlement,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that it was not it, it was not that you would actually maim someone and take that part of their life from them, that that it was about money, that God. Uh, And I I think what you're referring to is the story in Judges where the man makes the the promise that he'll sacrifice the first thing that comes through his doorway. Yes. And the the daughter comes out. And in that story, we are never really given any closure. Um, But it is interesting. It looks like that she was sacrificed. But the thing was, she lived her life at the tabernacle. And because the mourning isn't for her death because all of her friends gather around to mourn. They mourn her her virginity. Right. They mourn that she will never have children, and so she becomes a a living sacrifice to God, serving and probably weaving tapestries or braiding wicks for the candles or something like that.
2: Mm -hmm. And
0: so, because God does not want us to take a life in order to please Him,
1: so so then how do how do we then uh how what do we call that then because Jesus, you know. There, there is a blood, a blood sacrifice that is needed when you sacrifice animals and Jesus Christ died for us to satisfy, uh, God. That sounds like a human sacrifice. How do we reconcile that? How is that different?
0: You know, this is, this is one of those really sticky topics, right? Um, Yeah, and we've got libraries written over this. And from my perspective, and this is a little off the beaten path, I I don't think it was so much about God receiving a sacrifice as it is God overcoming death. Yes. And that's, I think that's the main point. I, I am bigger, I am more powerful than this force that has claimed everything in the earth up to this point. And so and I, I think in order to defeat death you have to you have to confront death mm. and and i actually look at the sacrifice of christ so not so much in the death because and don't i'm not discounting that but when i think of the holy omniscient creator god through whom all things were created putting himself inside of his own body then putting that body inside of a woman and going through all of the you know, all just the nasty processes of being human. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, sweat. I mean, come on, who wants to sweat? <laughs> and we're sweating, and we can take that out to all the other biological processes. Um, and, and I think that was the bigger sacrifice. So, and it was that the identification with his creation and knowing what our reality is so intimately. To mm. me, I think that's. a a huge sacrifice because death is a foregone conclusion for anything that has life. Right. And uh, so he knew what he was walking into on that score. So, and I mean, obviously he, he knew intellectually what was going to happen when we became human. But, you know, this is an experiential knowledge that, that gave him the rights to speak on our behalf because yeah. he, he knows us. And so I, 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 you know, when we start getting into atonement and we start getting into, uh, Oh, what's the other great theological sin? Uh, not Sorry, a theological term. <laughs> uh, uh, but we start talking about the ransom and all of this. I, I kind of have a problem with some of that language and how we apply it, because in the Old Testament, the sacrifice wasn't for the remission of sin. The hmm. sacrifice, the blood is what allowed you to inhabit holy space. And you are allowed to enter into the temple because you're bringing this blood sacrifice, hmm. and uh, and that's what I think you know Christ's blood does for us. It allows us to inhabit holy space, and it, because it imparts something of God to us, and it, it I haven't sat down and looked at this all and formulated it into a nice pretty package like I would love to, sure, because it it is such a huge issue and there's so many facets to it. And each little theory about why this works or it doesn't work, so there's a little bit of truth in each one of them and I think that uh, I'm gonna steal Nathan's analogy about the, the guitar uh, you've got to connect the string to the bridge and the headstock and then put tension on them to produce a true note and I think so often we don't like holding all this stuff in tension and that's one of the things when i see people dismiss something from the bible they don't have two truths intention but they've just fastened on one
2: right and say well right. it, can't be,
0: it, it, it can't be true because this one contradicts it no this one makes it
1: fuller yeah. this one yeah. <laughs> who would have thought that uh, god the everlasting <laughs> creator is more complicated than a simple <laughs> than a oh. than a simple quip of, uh, this is why you're wrong. I simply uh, was able to dismantle your idea of God. Well, it's more complicated than that, actually.
0: Right, right. Well, we want our theologies to to fit in a single tweet. You know, 150 (laughs) characters, it's all explained. No, this is not how this works, because it is relational. And uh, I, I think that's where we miss it. We, we miss the fact that this is about community. This is about God desiring to, to know us. And, and not just to like, you know, like this movie keeps going back to puppeteers. That, right. that, that word keeps right. coming back. It, god's not a puppeteer. And he has an amazing amount of faith in us to, to actually step up and do the right thing. And I think that's one of the great messages of this movie is uh, the gods don't want these people to step up and do the right thing. Right. They, they want to fail. And our God is going, no, come on, I'm rooting for you.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, because that's kind of the, the decision that they make at the end. Uh, what Marty was saying uh, in the uh, when they were first leaving for the cabin, he was saying that society is falling apart. It's breaking apart. And what we're doing is we're filling in the gaps with cement. We're keeping it together when really we should just let it go. And the conclusion that they've come to, that he's come to, is if we need to sacrifice a human being or a group of human beings to satisfy these gods, then we shouldn't do that. We should be right. better than that. And that's what God is kind of telling us. He's saying, no, you don't need to do anything anymore because I've done it for you. Like, it, it's this di- completely different idea than anything that's just, that we've come up with on our own.
0: Oh, and that's an excellent way to put it, because it really is. It's about what he has done, and, you know, we're responsible for the moment, but when we release, you know, these great cosmic consequences to the cosmic creator, it's amazing how freed up we can be to actually be present in a moment, and to be that good Christian person, like we want to define it, as, you know, someone who is loving and kind, Uh, because, you know, the, the mean, grouchy people, these are the ones who are worried about, you know, three years down the road, or what's happening across the globe. And but when we say okay, I can be responsible for me in this moment, and that's what ultimately Marty and um, Dana do. I I can be responsible for this moment. Mm -hmm. Then, Mm. then you can turn it over. But you have to have a God you can trust in order to do that. And I think a lot of us don't trust God.
1: Yeah, Um, and that's why I and I brought this up the in the last episode, uh, the last movie episode, is that in Ecclesiastes uh, the teacher says that if your if your religion is making you upset, if it's making you angry, if it's making you sad, then you're doing it wrong. It's of course I'm rephrasing it because I don't remember the exact quote, but our 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 life is supposed to be a life of happiness and joy and love that you know the fact that we are focused on the negativity is really missing the point of the gift that God has given us.
0: Well, we, we, it makes us feel like we're in control when we worry about things. We think we're in control that somehow our worry is going to impact this. Right. Now we won't get up our butts and go actually do something about the problem, but we can Facebook about it. And look, I, I you know, I've done my part. <laughs> um, and you know, and God is all, God is a God of action. And, when we participate in those actions with him and, and submit to his will, then there, there's, this, there's this beauty that comes out of it, and people don't realize that. And I'm not saying that there's not heartbreaking sacrifice sometimes. Absolutely, there is. But there's also this sense of peace that comes with it. That my God does have it, and that you know, goes back to Job. And everybody says, "Oh, read the book of Job. It'll teach you how to suffer." <laughs> no no it, it doesn't Job messes up so bad so bad yeah but what we see is you have to think about god correctly in the suffering to find that peace and we are so ill-equipped i mean the church has quit teaching uh, not all churches but a huge percentage of the churches are not teaching truth and they're not teaching um the the depth of revelation that god has about his character We're getting, you know, what I call hamburger helper Christianity, which is one, two, three easy steps, and boom, you've got a you've got a full meal. No, it's we've got to go back to that relational aspect, and we can't have a relational we can't have a relationship with a God we don't know. And most of us know so little about God, and we've got these fairy tale ideas where He's nothing more than Santa Claus, and that, that kind of God is never going to get you through the hardships of life. You've got to have a God who knows what it is like to bleed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think one of the really interesting things about human nature, if, if you look at your best friends and the people that you connect with the most, the first thing you typically do when those friendships form is you sit down and you start recounting your life and you start going, here's what I was hurt here and here's this wound here and this is a scar from that. And you start pulling out all these scars from, from past experiences, and that person looks at you and go, oh, I've got one that looks just like it. I, I, I know what that feels like to be wounded that way. Mm-hmm. And, and you connect at that point of your wounding, and I really think that this perfect God, who is so far removed, he was wounded so that we can connect at the point of his wounding. And I think that was necessary because how else are we going to relate to him? Right. And uh, that's and I think that's just it, it's so beautiful that he would be willing to do that for our, for ourselves. And I say that beautiful, not in sight and not in deed, but the effect. And because I, I recently recently come to the conclusion that I really hate teaching the Gospels because I've spent so much time in the Old Testament that it's downright horrifying to me that this holy God would go to this great extreme. Yeah. and I think we all feel that way honestly
1: mm. yeah, um yeah, again, because there's so it's so easy to misinterpret what the Bible says, um in that even the breaking of bread, that idea that you know he, he you know the bread represents his broken body the the wine represents the shedding of his blood, and we automatically, at least in the Catholic Church and not to disparage the Catholic Church because. I have great respect for the church that literally taught me about God to begin with. But right. this idea that the, that we're eating his, his flesh and that we're drinking his blood, the idea is it represents his broken body and shed blood. But when we break bread and we drink wine, it's something that we do together as a community. That's what it is. It's eating a meal together to remember the sacrifice that God made for us. We're coming together as a church body, and that's what people kind of misinterpret they they bridge that they bridge that gap that we shouldn't be we're making a connection that isn't really there.
0: Right. Well, anyway, when we when we do that together, we, we are once again we're going back to that we are connecting at the point of his wounding, and and that gives us the freedom to explore our own woundings. and I, I love. The verse in Revelation that the enemy is overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of the saints. And people make that such a hyper pollutant idea. Well, you know, the saints are you and I, and the testimony is our story. And our stories are incredibly powerful because we are saying that not only have we been wounded, we survived, and there's a God who heals of these wounds. And it's a beautiful thing to do. And I think so often in the church culture, we're taught cover, (coughs) up. excuse me. Cover up your wounds, act like you were never hurt, and and deny. Because if you really had faith, then you wouldn't have been hurt. Which we—that's a lie, straight from the. That's a lie, and um, so we don't tell our story, and we don't, and we've disarmed ourselves essentially. And you know, when I wrote Scandalous, there's so much of my story in there that uh, it's—it's taken on a life of its own. And I'm not trying to brag on myself because, but I just want to say I. I did this with a cell phone, with a smartphone, in the middle of the woods, in a town, outside of a little town of 600 people in nowhere Oklahoma,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and we have women across the world who are saying, you've, you've changed our lives, and it's not just me, I mean, it's everybody involved who's been brave enough to share their story, and so I've seen God's word be true,
1: right, and right. I
0: think that's just, it, it, it blows my mind, it, it really does. <laughs>
1: Well I, I think that that's like what frustrates a lot of Christians is when they try to preach the gospel they think that the the argument that they use to uh prove god is what would it's what proves it to them this argument convinces me so it should convince you and when it doesn't it really frustrates them because the and reality is go ahead
0: as I said, then they get bitter and nasty
1: about it, right. And so the reality is is that my the the thing that proves God to me is stuff that I've experienced personally. And mm-hmm. I can't prove that to somebody else. I've felt yeah. God at work in my life. I've seen God work, but I can't show it to you because it's it's what's happened to me personally. And that's the the that's the most difficult and frustrating thing that. <laughs> about this whole thing is that you can't just explain God to somebody and have it like make sense so easily. But
0: that's all, that's one of those double edged swords because it's also the most beautiful thing yeah. because it shows how impersonal God is for each of us. And, you know, when you think about the God of the universe and, you know, I, I love, you know, to fry my brain occasionally and try to think about infinity and the, his eternal nature, and yet he still cares enough about me. Mm. Uh, and you know, and, and he does it in these really weird ways. It's like uh last year I was walking, I found an eagle feather. I'm Cherokee. I can own it. It's, but I found a, a, an eagle feather, uh, and it was at a point of time when I was just walking through the woods. I was humming the song, you know, Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their faith and rise up with wings of eagles, and it was just like. He took time out of running all of this stuff to just kind of give me a little pat on the back. It's going to be okay, <laughs> yeah. you know. And, 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 and you know, did God just you know with fingertips pluck a, a feather out and light my path? No, probably not. There's probably a natural process, but God's in that. And to appreciate the fact that He is in that, I, I think that's what we need to to work on doing. Uh, to to see Him all around, and you know, and to like go back to like movies like this. Where do we find God in this? Because we have a whole culture who's watching movies like this. You're right. And how do we have a conversation with them if we don't know the language? Mm. And the language is the language is movies. The language is TV shows. It's it's music. It, it's comic books. And uh, when we pull back and say, "Oh, we're too holy to participate," I mean, this is like Jesus saying, "I can't touch that leper. I'm too holy." And <laughs> uh, I think we're too scared of the evil outside to recognize the power of the good God who dwells inside. And I, I think we need to be more conscious of that.
1: And, but that's what's so beautiful about art and stuff is that many Christians would say that, well, this is a horrible movie because it's a horror movie and that's just nasty and evil. And Joss Whedon is an atheist of uh, probably a very angry one from what I've heard him say but even in this movie he t- he's basically saying if god if a god is telling you to sacrifice human life to satisfy them then that's not a god that you need to believe in or or work for and that is actually the, the what the message of god himself is that that's not what i'm asking you to do at all so if any right. god is asking you for human okay. sacrifices, then that's not a god you need to be worshiping, because I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. Yes. So even his yes. gospel and truth is shown in this movie.
0: <laughs> well, and I love that because I, I did not realize that about Joshua. Whedon. Uh, I haven't. I, I tend not to to research people who produce art because mm. I don't want to. I want to be able to take what they have put out and, and just look at it and Miss Gordon Weaver just showed up, and you got to love her. Yeah. Um, but the, um, to know that about him, you can kind of see how he's using movies like this to wrestle with issues of his faith. And I, I think that that's one of the things that we have failed to do in the church, too. We don't give people room to wrestle with their faith. It's You need to step up, get in line, and shut up. And, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about Job, Job is is he's not patient. He's whining, moaning, groaning, complaining the whole bit. And when I was in the middle of my crisis of faith, because I, I was like, you know, if there's a God who's going to treat me like this, what do I, why do I want to worship him? Um, I, I, I would yell and scream at him. And because I'm like. If he can, if Job could do this and God would show up for him, then why won't he do it for me? And I think we need to give people that room to yell and scream at God and, and to, to be honest and to recognize that God isn't scared of our questions. Mm. And, you know, these, these gods are afraid to be confronted by people who who are going, the system is messed up. This is not a good thing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and,
0: but our God doesn't have a weakness to expose. The, these false gods do. Right. And And I know that we aren't living in an ancient culture and people think, oh, you know, this is just a a, a fictional construct. But we have so many gods that we worship and we can talk about sorts of idolatry, whether it's money, you know, looks or what have you. Mm. And uh, and when people worship that and they are confronted, you, you see where they get become fearful of their weakness being exposed.
1: Yeah.
0: And when you start getting into the ugly side of human nature.
1: Yeah. And again, um, talking about the, you just talked about how angry, you know, these um, being angry with God, God understands that because in, and I I keep bringing these, these things up in Psalms, David curses God. He says, turn away from me and let me die in peace. Um, Lazarus's sister was angry at Jesus and said, why weren't you here to save him? Uh, The widow who uh, Elijah was staying with said, is this why you saved my life? Is this why you fed me so I could watch my son die? What kind of a God would do that? God understands that we're angry with him sometimes and allows us that room to do that.
0: Well, and I think it's because we try to judge God on the basis of justice. And justice is something that very much is a human construct. We, uh, you know, every society has a different idea of what justice is. And Mm -hmm. the minute we try to make God subservient to justice and we're trying to make him subservient to a human construct. And Job really points out that this is, we have to trust in God's wisdom and we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, just like Job didn't, um, we don't get to be privy to that, that little conversation that goes on in heaven. But if we can trust his wisdom, and I, I think of it in the terms like zooming out, like you, know, I'm not going to look just at my current situation. I'm going to zoom out and try to have an eternal view of this, that there's things going on here that I don't understand. And I don't know why my life or how my life is going to impact somebody else. And maybe by being present in this moment, then it's going to, it's going to help somebody else down the road. And maybe I'm experiencing this hardship because I'm strong enough and that's going to empower me and give me credibility when I try to help somebody else. And that's kind of how I've tried to look at the things that have gone on in, in my life because when I got married, you know, I was a good Christian girl. I played by the rules. I have safe sexual marriage and, and my ex-husband was abusive to me in every way a man could be abusive to a woman. And, um, I, 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 that was my question, God. Why Why do I have to go through this? I, I did everything right. And I didn't realize I was requiring God to conform to my ideas of who he should be. And God just basically said, no, this is, I'm God. Trust me. Yeah. Uh, there's a wisdom here that you don't understand. Right. right. And I still that.
1: No, go ahead.
0: <clears throat> I, said, I had to be okay with that.
1: Yeah. Um, again, I, I, I've i had that kind of thought, too, because I lived a really sinful life for a long time, and I thought, well, is that the life God wanted for me? Did he want me to be that sinful person so I could overcome it? And the re- the, the answer is no. Like, if he yeah. could have it his way, I would be saved from birth. But because I did that, he can now use that to help others, and I've been able to talk to people and, and be uh, you know, humble and sympathetic to people who have lived that kind of life and relate to them. And I've had a lot of Christians tell me, well, I, I was Christian my whole life, so I kind of sometimes wish, it's almost like the grass is always greener on the other side thing, where I, I wish I could have been raised in a Christian church and been saved my whole life, because now my struggle I, to to remain a Christian is really difficult. But Christians see me as like, well, Joe can relate to other people better than I can. I wish I could have experienced that. And there's no real good or bad way to do it, but God can use both. Well, you...
0: I, I remember in uh, in high school and junior high, and we'd listen to these testimonies that were being told at all the youth events, and and you know, we would pray, "Oh God, give me a great testimony." And we didn't realize that you know you kind of have to go through hell and back to have one of those testimonies <laughs> and in retrospect i'm like oh why did i ever pray that um but at the same time <laughs> yeah you know, yes we serve a god who redeems all things all we got to do is bring it to him and, and it's amazing how he does that and I, I i'm just blown away that he can take something that we see is so abhorrent and so repulsive and he he turns it into something amazing and i i wish more people understood that that's what he that's the business he's in that mm. that's what he desires to do and so did we really even talk about the movie that much
2: or well, we just-
1: no towards the end we kind of went uh off the rails but i mean uh i think that that's kind of the point of this podcast is you know i mean imagine the people that aren't watching the movie they're they're i think they're happy that we're not focused on the scenes in front of us, but the movie just ended. And uh, again, the evil gods upset that they didn't get their human sacrifice destroyed the world.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and I, I I love that because that is very much in keeping with, with the ancient near East idea of of the gods. You you keep them appeased in order to, you you basically pay them off. They're like mob bosses,
1: right? You pay them
0: off. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of Christians look at God that way.
1: And... And, well, that does that, a lot of the uh, atheists criticize our faith by saying that. Oh, you need to go to church to make him happy. You need to do all of this stuff to make him happy. And no, what makes him happy is being good to to each other. As I, as uh, what's it called? <laughs> Bill and Ted once said, be excellent to one another. <laughs>
0: Ah, good Bill and Ted, the great theologians. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I do think that when you start looking for God and trying to understand how He relates to us, you start seeing these pictures all over. And I remember like one of the most freeing moments when I was—it was the last, you know, death throes of my first marriage—and my husband was being a total jerk. Uh, He would go to church with me every Sunday. And he would have gin in his orange juice, and he would drink and pass it out in the second row of the church service. And so, you know, beautiful. Made me feel great. And I was watching The Matrix, and that scene where Neo realizes that he can stop the bullets and that they don't have to affect him. And the only reason why they were affecting him was because he was letting it.
2: Right.
0: Uh, that that movie, that moment in the movie, it, it's like God himself just kind of stepped down and goes, you know, get a picture. This is you – know, and and it that was freeing to me. And, and I think it's very much in keeping with the biblical idea that we are responsible for ourselves. And we try to live in ways that impact others in positive ways. But ultimately – they're responsible for themselves. And so you, you shake the dust off your feet and you keep moving if somebody won't accept what you have to say. Well and
1: go ahead. Go ahead. No no please. <laughs> I'm sorry I keep coming up with the well, ideas. I,
0: <laughs> well this is the problem with conversations with me. <laughs> they go <everywhere. laughs> I think too many Christians they, they just they they don't know how to turn loose. And hmm. and we become so adamant that people conform to our ideas of what the other person should do and that turns people off that turns me off yeah if you're going to try to impose your stuff on me i'm probably going to smile at you and say have a nice day as i walk away and that's if i'm in a good mood
1: (laughs) (laughs) no but um that, that what you said about Neo stopping the bullets and when realizing, oh, that's what that's how I can overcome this is by realizing that this world is fake and that I can actually manipulate it. And it, like, that's the perfect picture of Peter when he was walking on water and he started to think when he's lost faith that he could do it. And then Jesus, he reaches up and asks Jesus to save him. And Jesus reached down and pulled him up and said, you had it. You you were doing it. And why did you lose your faith? You you had it. And I think that that's what we're constantly fighting with. We're fighting with ourselves and our own self-doubt and doubt that what God could do through us. And that's that's a really great little comparison there.
2: Oh, it,
0: it, yeah, it totally revolutionized my life. Uh, and it, I, I wish that Christians were open to the idea that God will use whatever He has to use to get the message across. Uh, and I mean, and he, he shows us the perfect picture of that with Balaam and the donkey. Uh, and <laughs> I love that story because I, what better way to say everything is going to serve me? But the question is, will you see me in it? Will Will you actually see me or are you going to miss it? Because Balaam missed it. He, he didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. And I, I think too often we miss it because we have these preconceived ideas of what God has to do and how he has to show up. And, you know, I, a, a random story. I had a friend who, um, she was really into tarot cards and, um, uh, you know, obviously Christians, we, we don't play with tarot cards and, she was. It was a really dark time in her life. Her mom was sick, and when she read the tarot cards, uh, she actually went to the book to see what it meant. And in the book, it said, "Don't worry, the great physician has gone before you." And she realized at that point that she was she'd missed the point that she she was putting her faith in these tarot cards rather than God, and and she got rid of the tarot cards. And you know, here's. Here's God using what we would consider an evil, off limits, you know, item to speak to somebody who wouldn't have heard him probably any other way. Mm. And now I'm not saying go play through our cards and God will talk with you. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> saying. Right. This was a concession of, of grace for her in particular in that moment. And it. And so, I, I, I'm open to God being bigger than we think He is. Yeah. And I, I wish. I wish I thought he was even bigger than what I do, mm-hmm. and every time I start to get a handle on him, he just blows my mind with something else and says, "No, nope, you're still playing. You're still playing small."
1: <laughs> <laughs> we we just got to remember that if uh, if God could speak through Balaam's ass, He can speak through you.
0: I, I hope so. <laughs> I as good as an ass. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so. So with that, I think we should wrap it up.
0: <laughs> well, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think we ought to do, uh, I think we ought to do Inception at some point, Joe. Oh,
1: that would be so cool.
0: I love that movie. Oh. And when <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, am I up? Yeah,
2: I'm going
1: to, I'm going to have to keep having guests coming back because uh, I'm running out of movies and I keep getting suggestions from other people, which excites me because I'm running out of ideas and everybody else has great ones. And so, that, yeah, that would be great.
2: Well,
0: And that's, you know, that's the beautiful thing about community. Is you take a small idea and if you incorporate enough people, it will grow. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is a really good way um, to reach people who may not want to listen to just a plain old Christian podcast. And... <laughs> Because you know Christians, ooh, who wants to hang out with them? They're all boring. And I think it's a great way to show that that we aren't all boring and we aren't all sticks in the mud and and, and we can relate.
1: Yeah, so. I, mean, I brought you a cabin in the woods, guys. Come on now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh. And I think we're timing this right because my cold is returning, so this is this is good. So.
1: All right, great. So uh, again, I will post in the show notes where you can find Emily because uh, she is oh truly a wonderful writer and has great ideas, as we just uh, saw an example of. And uh, we will certainly, uh, you know, love to have you back.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me. I love to come back. I I enjoy talking. Can you tell? <laughs>
1: All right. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, I hope uh, to catch you next time. And to sign off, I'll say this is Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo, signing off. You've been listening to The Commentarians Podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to support our show, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thecommentarians. Thank you for listening, and until next time, remember, movies are a reflection of our lives, and of other people's lives, and we get to experience them together. Come back to the movies with us. We love sharing them with you.